Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as normal, we'll be serving up around 20 minutes of uh, thoughts around three key topics that have come across our desk in the last week or two here at Hotel Analyst. I'm Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined on the podcast by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And if you like what you hear, if you're new to this podcast and you're wondering what are these chaps on about, then do pop along to hotelanalyst.co.uk where you can find out more about our various subscriptions and the news and uh, news in focus uh, services we provide to our subscribers. So first topic we're looking at this week is the business of diversity, equity and inclusion, DEI. Um, it seems to have risen as as part of the kind of broader CSG agenda uh, up up the corporate uh, uh, level of importance in recent years, and uh, so much so that a whole bunch of associations in uh, in the real estate world at large have come together to look at uh, surveying the, the DEI landscape and putting together some kind of benchmarking so that uh, businesses in the, in the world of real estate can see where they stand and I suppose more importantly where they need to be going, what they need to be thinking about and what they should be doing uh, to ensure that their, uh, their business and their teams are suitably diverse uh, and have suitably inclusive policies uh, such that they have a good mix of uh, folk within their their teams. We had a look at this uh, this week and had a quick sort of scan over some of the big uh, players in the hotel world um, and as luck would have it just as this was announced uh, sure enough Marriott put out their annual kind of progress report on how they're doing on their kind of corporate governance uh, across very many different angles. Um, host hotels also put something out uh, about the same time as well and so the big the big businesses in in the space are already launching regular usually annual corporate reports detailing how they're doing on various uh, milestones and towards various targets uh, there's quite a lot to go at here um, all the way from energy efficiency and uh, resource reduction um, and maybe heading ultimately towards carbon neutrality uh, all the way across to this sort of DEI which is more really about um, making sure you have a well-balanced team that perhaps reflects your customer base uh, or the population at large so quite a lot to go at here isn't there Andrew? Yeah, joining in with your acronym bingo you're playing there, Chris. Um, yeah, I'd put in ESG as the key one, the Environmental, okay. Social, and Governance Agenda. Um, and this DNI or DEI, it depends, um, is the S in that, the social piece. Um, and yeah, it has risen up the agenda. Uh, the challenge, I would say the biggest challenge with it has been the lack of uh, meaningful metrics and benchmarks to go at. Um, it's all very well, you know, what is it you need to be targeting? How do you get there? Um, you know, where where are you actually at with that? Because you can say, well, we've, we've you know, got a very diverse workforce. Uh, Eighty percent of them are are female, and they turn out to be all the lowest paid workers. So that, <laughs> yeah. that, that isn't that great. So I, yeah. I think it's a complex picture, um, and and meaningful metrics are badly needed for it. And and, and I think it's a good thing that we've got grown ups entering the field in terms of these these serious investor bodies coming in and saying, look, we we've got to get some sort of sensible benchmarking going here. Um and uh you know make it a little bit more 
meaningful um i think the days of where you used to ask a junior to draft a few well-meaning words um as part of your annual report um that has that you know they are fading fast and quite rightly i think there is a problem here in in terms of this when you start entering into these fields you tend to build a momentum of its own and people start engaging with it and are actually making a living out of being part of this you know just coming out with new acronyms to, <laughs> to play the game of buzzword yeah. you know bingo uh, with um and I, I think there is a you know consultants and law firms and you know can make a absolute mint out of charging clients for uh, not always particularly helpful uh, <laughs> advice in this area um, and I, I think what does matter here is that there is engagement at senior levels of management um, to make sure there is a focus on what really matters um, and to ensure that governments don't start straying off um, and introducing all sorts of bonkers bits of regulation which actually in the you know a, a probably don't achieve what they want to achieve there's always an iron rule in there that uh, there's a there's a sort of backfiring goes on uh, when they introduce these things um, mm -hmm. the law of unintended consequences uh, comes to play um, and and it can just be you know just a, an extra tax and in the worst sort of tax the only people getting paid are the consultants mm -hmm. implementing these um you know these acronyms um so i it's good to see that we've got a sensible level of of benchmarking here and you know i would i think the big thing i'd urge is that the senior management across our industry engage with this because this is coming whether we want it or not and we need to make sure it doesn't uh, bash us too badly now uh, probably less at risk on the diversity thing i think relatively and i stress the relative here um i mean there are a few remarks as uh, as an aside i mean uh, about the berlin conference agenda i was at a week or so ago um where there were numerous all-male panels particularly on the big ceo heavy hitter panels they you know the, the, you, there is there is clearly a problem um in terms of the diversity piece there um, um but on the whole our sector is better than many for diversity i think where well, we are going to face a big clobbering and i had a chat i had a few chats with different people actually during that event um who are working around this area um is environmental regulations because the travelist sector has a um is very exposed here um it can i mean we're seeing how heavily hit say air travel is being by um um extra taxes um we know we pay some of the highest taxes on air travel in the uk um and there's more of that to come it's an easy thing for governments to implement um and we you know we're going to have to stand up and say look hang on a minute there's lots of positives for our sector and we need to be clear on how we can point out those positives despite what at first sight looks quite negative um data we have um but it needs engagement at the most senior level and it's no good companies going off doing things on their own we need to do it collectively this is about working with um, the right pan industry uh, organizations to deliver this and i think i'd just add a couple of uh, from a couple of examples i've seen this week um how um although you know big organizations need to have um direction from the top they need to also foster an environment where grassroots initiatives can um as well and a couple of examples um 
IHG uh, has been doing something for years in Singapore where they uh, uh, work with local learning disabled um, organisations to get those people to come and have a job in a hotel. Um, and uh, they just announced this year, this this week rather, they're uh, they're kind of firming up on that initiative. Um, and, but it's something they've been doing for years, and it's something they kind of set out to do in Singapore, and it's it's blossoming. Um, and the second example, I was at the Service Department Awards this week, and um, one of the environmental initiatives, one of the kind of shortlisted projects for that particular award to do with environmental awareness, was again it, it's something that was very much led by a local manager on the ground and then supported and encouraged by the corporate body. So um, important to enable uh, local heroes to kind of um, plough their own furrow. Yeah, and we've got them within our sector. We have them, and uh, it's very much it's an accessible industry to enter. We are the future of employment. Uh, We are the future for for, um, empowering people and delivering improvements into the standards of living particularly in um, low-income countries but increasingly in high-income countries too uh, for the majority of people who aren't you know going to university and obtaining phds etc we are providing employment Uh, it's not going to come from agriculture it's not going to come from manufacturing it's the service sector um, and we're in the center of that now next we're going to talk about uh, what's going on in the short stay sector and partly because i was at the short stay summit this week in london a gathering of um, three supported by three trade associations who've in the sector who've who've all come together to work much more closely together um i think realizing that they need to uh, build on the relative uh, resilience and relative success certainly re- success relative to hotels that the short stay sector has has enjoyed through the pandemic uh, make no mistake they've all had a, a dreadful time but i think they've come out of it realizing that they did rather better than the uh, mainstream hotels and they're very keen to uh, build on that uh, that momentum um, and very keen to work together to deliver a, a niche that's got much more professionalism much more standardization of a decent level of service and i think those things they think will also help them break into the kind of mainstream business uh, travel market which uh, is perhaps quite difficult to break into but I think they see that as a key if they can present their niche as something that uh, is reliable is safe does tick all the boxes for the big corporate uh, travel spenders then um, they could actually uh, have a bit of a jump on on the hotel sector um, uh, and I think of, of also I think they're quite quite keen to get on with this because they realize that if they don't take advantage of this opportunity in the next uh, year or two then guess what hotels will work out how to market their way back into the lead again the mantra of abductive reasoning is that if it looks like a duck swims like a duck and quacks like a duck then it probably is a duck Mm -hmm. and short-term accommodation players are looking more and more like hotels on the same approach to logical inference um i think you mentioned in your piece chris about how gds now bookability on gds is is what they're aspiring to and i think this is the final check they are effectively hotels Uh, and what it means if they're hotels they need to be regulated like hotels and this is what's going to catch up with them Mm -hmm. and is 
is I would suggest going to be their undoing economically because the best will in the world these small little places um, are not any more viable um, as a short-term accommodation providers than small little hotels and um, small little hotels are getting squished out of the market and these small little accommodation players will get squished out of the market I do not buy that they are the future of short-term accommodation um, I'm not alone in this, fortunately, and um, the uh, I, analysts at Bernstein, one of my go-to places for, for some sensible numbers um, in this area of OTAs and uh, accommodation and so forth, um, uh, private rentals etc um, what they found um, looking at uh, the industry estimates and making their own estimates that in 2020 um, the share that private rentals took had increased dramatically not surprisingly but hotels still had a 72 percent share of lodging you're not going to find a better environment than you had in 2020 for short-term uh, rent uh, for private rentals uh, and you know all they managed to do was push down the share of market share of lodging by five percentage points because in 2019 on the Bernstein numbers it was 77% of overall lodging the overall lodging market uh, and Bernstein reckons that in the next couple of years hotels will indeed make a bit of a comeback and they're going to get back to 76 percent of the overall market share so more than three quarters by 2022 um, all is not lost for private rentals they will carry on making some gains but it's going to be very modest so that even by 2030 uh, hotels are still going to be 73 percent so just under three quarters uh, i think the notion that private rentals will eat hotels lunches for the birds it's it's not happening the worst fears are really unlikely to come to fruition and i think you, you can never um rely on you know the um, regulation to do this work and it, it you know and it'd be foolish to do so um but we can see you know i, I up here in cambridge i i know a few people who've got uh, uh properties which they have been letting out on a short-term basis cambridge obviously is a, a university city and a big tourist destination it's an attractive place to have a short-term rental but it's against planning regulations and the council um the local government is coming um with its big sticks um to clobber these landlords um when there's a complaint from neighbors and there's a few grumpy neighbors around and they will complain um and you know th there is a significant number of landlords in cambridge under investigation on this basis because they're letting out their properties on a short-term basis i.e less than six months at a time um, and this is a pattern um, that's being repeated across the uk and indeed across many other european countries and indeed globally um, regulation is coming and it's it, it is catching up with this um, the the and the reality is for these these players in this short-term rental sector it, it's not the you know the individual who has a spare room and airbnb likes to you know every time it does its big pr and it's very slick very <laughs> clever in its pr um and it does this thing you know oh look at you know here's mrs miggins she's got this um tree house in the backyard which she lets out for a month or two a year <laughs> and it does fantastically well well you know that is not where most of their money is made and they darn well know this but of course from from how they want to position themselves they don't want to be actually the 80 percent of of their their uh, 
uh, trade is coming from if what are effectively professional um, investors professional owners of property and these people ought to be you know paying taxes they ought to be taking proper paying proper attention to life safety rules and obeying planning regulations just like hoteliers have to and it's going to catch them up there aren't the tailwinds these boosters around the short-term accommodation sector keep going on about and there is um, a reckoning that an astonishing amount of money at the moment chasing i don't know whether you saw this thing you attended i didn't go i went to one uh, pre-pandemic chris and it was just everybody's running around sort of talking about some new private rental booking platform and there's just millions being raised to fund these things and I, there just isn't the market there to justify this investment so i think it's it, you know it's got really hyped and i think it's all gonna um get quite grim i suspect um um, in a year or two's time um, I think some of them have already been found out there's one or two going bust I think we'll see a, a number more going bust and I, I just don't see this being the the mega sector um, that you know that we were once um, warned it was going to be I, th I think you know there were things we needed to pay attention um, as you know within the hotel sector there's a lot to learn from it and you know we've talked in the past about this notion of um, say hospitality versus service service understanding um, it's about that human connection piece and that grounding in the locality and all of this good stuff which I you know these private rentals have helped bring an Airbnb has been the biggest progenitor of of this kind of stuff um, and it's great um, but it's only going to go so far um, and you know how long airbnb will be a hundred billion us dollar market cap company um i don't know but i i doubt i i would be astonished if it still was in 10 years time well let's move now from a room a spare room on airbnb to uh, a luxury suite and talk about luxury hotels um which have uh, grabbed some attention recently because uh, at, over at four seasons two of the long-term investors in four seasons have uh, swapped a bit of shareholding between one another uh they've done so on the basis that the valuation uh, put on the share swap puts uh, about 10 billion dollars on the valuation of four seasons uh, it seems that um from the people we've been speaking to that luxury hotels have had a very good pandemic by and large uh the rich don't seem to have suffered in the pandemic as much as those lower down the uh, scale and so luxury hotels continue to drive hard uh the big brands are looking for growth uh, rosewood seems to be doing quite well in recent months in terms of signing new management agreements with uh, with landlords and developers um it all looks like it's uh, a market where you know if you're not in one of the global cities where you need to be then there's perhaps some uh, quite a bit of of contribution you can make to ensure you sign up with that uh, high net worth uh, individual who happens to be a landlord who's building that uber luxury hotel that you may be converting some historic landmark or whatever and um, you need to be there you need to have one in that city so um, get in there and pay what needs to be paid to en encourage them to put you top of the list uh, some of them are also supported by branded residences uh, which seem to be going quite well in some locations and uh, obviously if you can sell enough branded residences before you've built your hotel then uh, guess what you've got quite a lot of the uh, development cost already funded and that makes things a lot easier for the developer so all seems to be set fair for the big luxury brands 
uh, as they find ever more opportunities to spot up-and-coming cities where they can plunk their flags there's a clear divide in the luxury hotel market if you're in leisure you have by and large had a good pandemic um, if you are in business travel and you're in a gateway city you've had a disastrously bad pandemic um, and the, some of the biggest pain has been felt with luxury hotels in global gateway cities um, that they, they are bleeding money um, and are likely to carry on bleeding money until until we see uh, at least uh, most of international business travel come back um, and that's even in in our optimistic estimations um, that is not going to make a full return probably until the tail end of next year um, so there's going to be there's more um red ink are going to be on the in the in the accounts of these these luxury hotels in gateway cities um and i think there's been you know considerable pain i took a look at the uh, lvmh now if anybody knows about luxury it's lvmh the french listed uh, luxury group um it's got a market cap of uh, 320 billion euros or almost 320 billion euros i mean which makes it um, bigger than um, Airbnb and uh, Booking Holdings are the two biggest players in lodging combined. I mean, it's, it's bigger than Airbnb, Booking plus Marriott plus Hilton, actually. Um, so it's huge. Um, but it's bought Belmont uh, a few years before the pandemic and it's not had a good time with Belmont. Um, it doesn't report just hotels. It has this uh, division called uh, Other Activities, which has hotels, uh, real estate. It has stuff like it's got a yacht, a yacht maker in there. Um, but this division lost uh, 269 million euros in the first six months of 2021. Um, it's it's not looking good. And it commented travel retail, which is another one of its sectors, which isn't heavily beaten up. Uh, travel retail and hotel activities were still held back by the limited recovery in international travel. And that's the nub of the matter. Um, we've got to get these intercontinental flights in particular back up and running. Um, that's where these luxury hotels and gateway cities are going to be making money um now i don't know uh what the reasons for kingdom holding exiting four seasons is now it might be that they need mm -hmm. the cash now um prince alwa lead was um 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 shall we say uh, a guest of um mohammed bin salman the uh, crown prince of the kingdom of saudi arabia um along with a whole bunch of other uh, of the great and the good within um saudi um and um he, he would have had to have written a very sizable check to leave that uh, um that hospitality shall we say um in saudi now maybe he needs money because of that or maybe kingdom holdings is saying look this is a great time for us we're experts in this sector we can get out there and do some fantastic deals let's put some cash in the bank right now so we can go and get some deals when it's surely going to be pretty much the bottom of the market for these i mean 
mean they're very keen on luxury properties in gateway locations and you know with these so many so badly beaten up it's a great opportunity for them um i don't know which way it is um um with uh, the kingdom whether it's um indeed uh, prince Awalid is still sort of licking his wounds or um he's um being uh you know aggressively opportunistic right well let's move on then uh while we leave that one hanging to our five star and no star awards andrew you're hanging out handing out the gongs and the wooden spoon this week um who are you giving the gong mm. to well wellness so you did a great report on wellness um chris um in this week's issue uh and you know it's a bit like f and b long been a black hole uh for hoteliers never quite sure but this report shows that you did a report from rla from rla globe yeah um and it shows clearly that you can make significant amounts of cash from, from if you get wellness right. Uh, I think the the challenge with it, it's uh, you know, yeah, hoteliers might think all they need to do is stick a spa in their hotel and all will be well. Um, but um, it's a bit more complicated than that. And in fact, when you you talk to Roger Allen from RLA, he uh, made clear that it, it takes a lot of attention and a lot of focus to make money in this this sector. But it's certainly possible possible um, and I think that's an encouraging sign and I think uh, um, you know I think wellness is going to be uh, uh, you know a, a very visible if still smallish niche um, within Absolutely. our sector and uh, no stars where are you going with that yes yeah well it, it's the ongoing nonsense about travel restrictions so i'm off to where you've got a slightly earlier uh, people who listen to this podcast as soon as it pops up in there in in whatever their podcast provider is um um, they'll spot this is a bit earlier this week and that's because we're recording this on Saturday evening and uh, I'm about to jump on a plane on uh, tomorrow morning Sunday uh, to fly to Dubai um, and uh, it's still uh, complete and utter <laughs> nonsense um, in terms of PCR tests and you know day two tests and uh, having a test in in Dubai to get back on the plane to come to the UK now it's been slightly simplified it's going to be slightly simplified uh, not in time for me um, unfortunately um, but the end of uh, uh, was it uh, end of this month no um, end of October isn't it I mean completely so early October uh, new rules come in and completely in play um, the, by the end of October uh, I think just about in time for half turn travels um, where where we're just going to have a green list and a red list and if you're fully vaxxed you don't have to have a pcr to get back on the plane to the uk but you've still got you know risks um with travel and and you know there's a lot of focus on the cost um i think rightly on the cost because there's been a bit of rip-off going on in terms of these tests uh, i think the bigger thing is the the risk of being holed up um for 10 days or not being able to get on a plane and having your whole schedule um thrown you know wobbly bob um as a result of of, of failing one of these tests having a you know testing positive and i think that's a far bigger problem and until we get back to normal life um whereby you don't have these tests um i, th I think there's going to be a, a diminishment in international 
international travel um, and it, we just have to bin the entire thing now I think we're a long way from that because if you look at opinion polls in the UK in most countries they want to have very secure borders they think we've got to keep this disease out um, mm. the fact it's everywhere <laughs> they don't yeah. need to pay any attention to but um, the reality is we can't keep it out and this is a, I mean this is just the whole thing is theatre um, now I in fact I had a chat this afternoon with somebody um, she was telling me uh, about her mum who's been um, they're Moroccan and they were toing and froing from Morocco and her mum she was just filling in her PCR test she was actually just changing the PCR test and using the same one for each trip which I thought was quite she was just changing the date on it and apparently it worked fine yeah well of course you're not meant to be able to do that and they've got the, the QR codes and all this thing which is supposed to make it super secure but it you know she's not alone i've heard several reports about this and you look at any of the chat boards about travel and it's uh, full of people doing fiddles like this and using the same you know numbers for the the, the passenger locator forms and stuff so it, it's all just pure theater it's it, it's uh, a nonsense we've got chaos i mean i'm dreading my return to the heathrow in case i have a five-hour wait at the border so we've got all of this stuff which you know we've got to sort out um and and so we can have a a, a return to normal international travel hmm. um but uh, I, I do fear Somewhere, we are yes, many yes. months well someone someone who that, lives yeah. in wales which um, has spent most of last week in london um not wearing a mask um it's bizarre to me to come back and be uh, required to wear a mask if i go into a shop in in wales in wales oh yeah. is that right because obviously in wales, you're, yeah. you're having you're having vaccine but i know you're a regular of the <laughs> nightclubs in yeah. cardiff there chris so you're, you're gonna to have to Apparently be producing so. a, a passport, so, yeah, COVID so, passport uh, aren't you, or i'll go to yeah, bristol so. yeah there we are <laughs> <laughs> and on that happy note we'll say goodbye for now